we thank you. We want to take time as a church to be able to thank you for what you have done uh, over the last three days and, and uh, blessing the Vacation Bible School. We planned, we, we had meetings, we um, organized, uh, but Lord, um, you get the increase. You get the glory, and I thank you for the wonderful things that were done over the last three days, and I pray for our children. Lord, help us to minister your truth to them. Help us to uh, continue to bless them, uh, to let them know that there is a God who created them and loves them and is their future and their hope. And Lord, I also pray that you'd bless all those who are involved in children's ministry. I thank you for the volunteers. I thank you for... Uh, Barbara and Heather uh, and um, that uh, oversee the ministry and I, I thank you for so many who have been dedicated for so long uh, helping out and teaching these children and Lord I pray for those who work with the youth Eileen and Luke and Ashley that you would bless them um, that you continue to minister uh, your word to these uh, young ones that are here I thank you so much come out on Wednesday nights and Lord, that they would grow in the knowledge and love of Jesus Christ because we know that the enemy's lurking, trying to, to draw our children, our youth away from you and from your truth um, into a world that is dark and deceptive and uh, will lead them down a road of misery and bondage. So Lord, we pray that we would be committed to uh, having this place be a place where truth is taught, where they are loved, and Lord, where we can encourage one another in this most difficult day in which we live in. I pray that as the word goes forth right now for the next few minutes, that you would touch our hearts with it. And Lord, that um, this would be a, a night that we leave this place saying, Lord, you are so good. And, and the wonderful work that you have done, we give you the praise and glory. And, and Lord, we leave with a gladness of heart, the great things that you are doing in our midst and desire to do. So we just commit the rest of this evening to you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Middle schoolers, high schoolers, you're dismissed. The rest of you, say hello to somebody, all right, before you're seated, and then we'll get started. All right, the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, if you'll turn there, you'll find it right after the book of Proverbs, which is right after the book of Psalms. Uh, if you ever want to just find uh, Psalms, turn to the middle of your Bible. So Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes will be in chapter 7. We left off at verse 15, that's where we'll pick it up. And if you need a Bible, just raise your hand and Jerry will slip you a Bible. But keep in mind as we go through the book of Ecclesiastes, you know, a lot of people look at and read the book of Ecclesiastes and they think, man, this book really is a bummer and it's a downer and it's so negative. 
And, and there's a reason for it, because here is Solomon who had everything. Uh, 3,000 years ago, he was the wisest man that lived on the face of the earth. He was the wealthiest man that lived. He was one that had great popularity. He was known throughout the whole uh, known world. He was one that uh, dignitaries would come and, and visit him and see him and, and seek out his wisdom, like the Queen of Sheba, as we read there in First Kings and also as we read about her in Second Chronicles. But it is Solomon that had everything. He had great wealth. He had, um, you know, uh, great provisions. He had a thousand wives and concubines. He wore golden sandals. Uh, he had it all. And yet, as we read about what he says here, and I believe that Solomon is writing this towards the end of his life because he is looking at life apart from God. He is looking at life as even though he was one that was given great wisdom and he, he wrote the book of Proverbs and we see that the people would seek him out for that wisdom, yet he's trying to understand what is the purpose of life. And he says it's all vanity because he's looking at it apart from the Lord. And you see, as he is negative and down, and as he says, it's, I, I, what's the purpose of life? It's trying to figure it out. It's like grasping for the wind. You can't really get a hold of it. There's nothing new under the sun because life is mundane. It's just boring. It's, it's you know, routine. It's predictable. And, and he says it's all vanity is what it is. And what we learn from this book is that apart from Jesus Christ, that people have those feelings. They go through life, and particularly as, as I've ministered for the last 25 years, I've talked with people that don't know Christ, and towards the end of their lives, they begin to get very cynical about life. And that's what's happening with Solomon. But it's different with you and me as Christians, because not only did Jesus say he came to give us life, but life abundantly. He desires to give us blessing and joy and peace. And you and I have real purpose. And always keep this in mind that we were created to worship our God and we were created for his good pleasures as Revelation chapter 4 declares to us. So Solomon gets real negative here and he has some high points as he gets his focus on the Lord and God's wisdom, but then he gets negative again. But we read in verse 15 as we continue here that he says, I've seen everything in my days of vanity. There is a just man who perishes in his righteousness and there is a wicked man who prolongs life in his wickedness. And so here as he, he looks at the world, he says it seems like that nothing really good happens to the righteous man and the wicked seem to prosper. And it's the same mindset that Asaph, who was living about this time, Asaph was Solomon's father's worship leader, that you might recall in Psalm 73 that he was one that, that he looked at life and he said, it seems like the wicked just get away with everything and the righteous end up suffering. And, and it was difficult for Asaph. He writes that when I was envious uh, and when I saw the boastful, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for there are no pangs in their death and their strength is firm and they are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace, and violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance, and they have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. So you can look at people, listen, and you can say they just oppress others, they take advantage of others, they lie, they're wicked. Seems like they're getting away with it, but I want you to know something, they're not. They're not getting away with it. 
And what we need to understand is, is that, that as Asaph later on said, that it was too painful for me to bear until I went into the sanctuary of the Lord. And you and I know as we gather in this sanctuary that God is a just God and they're not getting away with it, that they will be accountable for what they do. And you see, unless they turn to Jesus Christ, unless they give their lives to him, that they will be judged for what they do, the wicked. And so here is Solomon. He's saying, you know, it's all vanity. It seems like the wicked get away. Listen, nobody's getting away with anything. That God is going to bring everything to where it's right. And one day we will all be in heaven, as Revelation chapter 19 says. And we're going to declare, righteous and true are your judgments, Lord. Right on. True are your judgments, your decisions that you have made. And so here Solomon being negative, he goes on and he says, do not be overly righteous nor overly wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Do not be overly wicked nor be foolish. Why should you die before your time? So it doesn't pay to be good or it doesn't pay to be bad. Live your life in moderation. Just be kicked back and all this and you'll be okay. Listen, this is a mindset that is growing in the church today. The church and a lot of ministries and pastors are telling you and me that you don't have to be, you know, uh, take Jesus too serious. That's, that's the uh, attitude that they give. You know, this Christianity thing, just kind of uh, live the way that you want. Be who you are and all of this. And that's the message that is being told to our young people. Oh, don't worry if you're involved in immorality and sexual sin or a sinful lifestyle because culture says it's okay and culture is even telling us that we need to embrace it and we need to celebrate it when God's word says to us that I want you to live and pursue holiness and righteousness I want you to live for me the Lord says because that's where you're truly going to be free and I pray that especially for you younger ones you know you young adults and, and younger people that as you have a long journey in life ahead of you, that you understand this, that if you walk in compromise and sin and after the world, that is going to hold you in bondage and it's going to hurt you and it's going to destroy you and you're going to end up being miserable. It is walking with Jesus Christ and pursuing the highway of holiness, which is a high, higher way of living that's going to set you free and you're going to experience that abundant life that the Lord has for you. It's a loving Father that says, I don't want you to be hurt. I don't want you to be in bondage. I don't want you to feel hopeless and experience the consequences of sin. And the world's going to come along and tell you that go ahead and live any way that you want. And I think it's so sad when the church gives that message. Oh, we're not going to address sin. We're not going to address carnality. We're not going to address those things. We're just going to, you know, um, have feel-good messages, and we're going to tell people just be who you are and live the way that you are. Listen, the Lord loves you too much to leave you where you are. And if you are one that wants to really experience true purpose and satisfaction and fulfillment in life, live for the Lord. And I say to all of you, and particularly for you young ones, for you young adults, go for it in the Lord. Go for it in the Lord. Serve Him. Walk with Him. Learn of Him. And it's an adventure life is as you do that. It doesn't mean it's always going to be easy. It doesn't mean that it's going to be, you know, uh, you know snowflakes and, and bunny rabbits and rainbows every day. 
It means that you are going to go through difficult times. It means that the world's going to come against you. But I'll tell you, there's nothing more exciting, listen, than to live full on for the Lord and to walk with Him and to serve Him. You want real joy? Serve the Lord. You want a sense of real purpose? Serve others. Love God. Walk with Him. Grow in Him. You want to walk in real wisdom and strength and and you want to, you know, just have what the world doesn't have, walk in the light. Aren't you glad that we don't have to walk in deception and in darkness? You don't want to put your hope in the world. Look at what's going on out there in the world. And if you haven't noticed, and I'm sure you have, it's a messed up, mixed up, messed up, mixed up, messed up world out there. It's bad, and it's dark, and it's getting darker. So go for it in the Lord. Don't let anyone come along and say, well, just, you know, live any way that you want. Or, you know, don't be too religious. Don't get too serious about Jesus. Man, be heavenly minded. Go for it in the Lord. Live for him. Make him the priority of your life. And as I've said this, I know a hundred times, but I want to say it one more time tonight, and I'll probably say it a hundred more times after this. But don't just let Jesus be a part of your life. Let him be your life. And to be able to say that you are everything to me, Lord. And I believe the promise of Ephesians chapter 3 that you want to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask and think because you want the very best for me and you want to guide me. You see, that's what makes uh, Christianity so unique, isn't it? Are we understanding that? It isn't about rules and regulations. It's about relationship with a loving God who created you and has a plan for you and a future for you and wants to use you, wants to, to make your life really count and to be a light to others. So live for him. Go for it in the Lord. Wherever you're at, whatever it is that you're doing right now, you know, just keep in prayer. Walk with him every single day and you'll see that it's a wonderful adventure. In verse 18, it is good that you grasp this, Solomon writes, inspired by the Spirit of God, and also not remove your hand from the other, for he who fears God will escape them all. And wisdom strengthens the wise more than ten rulers of the city, for there is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. And so we see here as um, it is uh, here that we, we know that Solomon is observing that um, there is no just man. There, there's none who does good and does not sin. And that is part of the good news of the gospel. You see, it's very important that we understand uh, th that uh, there is good news, but also that there is bad news. And the bad news is what we just read. The bad news is that we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, right? There is none that is righteous. And that's why Jesus Christ came to die for you and for me. That's why he came and died on that cross, because all of us are lost. And Jesus went to the cross, listen, because we are sinners. And even the theme of Luke's gospel that we continue to see is that he came to seek and save that which is lost, and that's you and me. And you see, a lot of people have the mindset of if I'm just a good person and, and I'm good enough, then I'll earn my merit and my, you know, salvation. I'll earn my approval with God through my good works and my righteousness. Isaiah says our righteousness are as filthy rags before the Lord. 
In other words, that we all fall short and we're all guilty. We are all sinners and the wages of sin is what? Is death. And that's why Jesus went to the cross for you and for me. If anybody, listen, could make it to heaven on their own, then Jesus didn't have to go and die on the cross, right? If any person could be good enough and righteous enough to earn heaven, then Jesus didn't have to go to the cross. And that was his prayer in the garden when he said, Father, if it is possible, let this cup from, pass from me, the cup of suffering and death. But because he said, I'm going to take on the cup of suffering and death, I'm going to do the will of the Father, he went freely, he went with the joy that was set before him, that is you, it shows us that without the cross, there is no hope for anybody. Jesus Christ died for you specifically as all of your sins were placed upon him. And listen, no one else did that. No other religious leader, no other person. One of the kids came up and asked me last week, it was a very good question, that why did Jesus die on the cross? Why couldn't anybody else? Because Jesus was the perfect Lamb of God who lived a perfect life and was qualified to die on that cross for the substitute for you and for me as all of our sins were placed upon him. And then he rose from the grave proving that he's the son of God who died for our sins. And that's what makes Christianity so unique is that our salvation is by faith in him. Our salvation is not based on what we do. It's based on what he did on the cross of Calvary. And the reason that I'm saying this and reminding you of this is because that's the message that you give to others. You know, it isn't a message about being religious. It isn't a message about joining a church. It isn't a message about, you know, you got to, um, you know, do this and do that. The message is Jesus Christ did the work for you. And you come in faith. And as you give your life to him, you're born again by the Spirit of God. And, and the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in your heart that's going to enable you to live a life for him, to direct you and guide you. We have the word of God that's going to grow us. And it's wonderful, that relationship that we have with him. So the word of God is very clear that we're all sinners and Jesus Christ came and died for sinners. But verse 21, then do not take to heart everything people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. For many times also your own heart has known that even you have cursed others. Uh, one of the things that I have learned in the years of ministry is if I reacted to everything I hear what others say about me, it, I probably wouldn't be ministering anymore. And we all experience that to one degree or another. There are those who can be just mean-spirited. We live in a culture where we love to criticize and judge others and put others down and that's kind of the popular thing and you see the you know talk shows on tv and the radio talk shows and it's just criticism criticism analyzing you know all this that goes on and on and on and if i paid attention to all those who analyze me and criticize me it would paralyze me to where i couldn't be able to minister you know somebody tells me hey i i don't like you pastor jeff and what you say i just you know, pick a number and stand in line because there's a lot of people ahead of you, you know? And I don't say things to put people down. I am one that is a minister of the truth of what God's word declares. But there are going to be those who, because you are one that is a Christian and believe in his word, that they're going to come against you. 
and they're going to put you down. Jesus said the world's going to hate you because it first hated me. And there are going to be those who are going to criticize you. And what we need to do is just continue to just be that light. Take those things to the Lord. And don't let it paralyze you in ministering to others and giving truth to others. Because what we see that Solomon here says that we need to be careful that uh, what, in what we say. We don't want to say things that hurt people. We don't want to say things that put others down. We don't want to be negative. I don't want to be that person. I mean, really, do any of you, and I'm sure that you're going to say no, do you want to be one that you go around all the time and you're putting people down and criticizing them and analyzing them endlessly? We want to be encouraging one another. We want to build each other up. And listen, you know, as a family, in our own families, you know, our own families are not perfect, are they? And this church is not perfect. This is not heaven. But we are called to love one another and to build each other up and edify one another. And that's what I pray takes place here. That we be patient with one another and listen to one another. And that we would pray with one another, not seeking to tear each other down. In verse 23, all this I have proved by wisdom. I said I will be wise, but it was far from me. As for that which is far off and exceedingly deep, and who can find it out? I applied my heart to know, to search and seek out wisdom and the reason of things, to know the wickedness of folly, even the foolishness and madness. Here Solomon is saying that, you know, he's seeking wisdom. He's trying to find it. And there is a difference between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. We have talked about that. In Christ, Colossians chapter 2, is hidden all the treasures and wisdom um, in him. And if you want true godly wisdom, which is a whole lot different than worldly wisdom, worldly wisdom changes all the time. Worldly wisdom, you look at it and you think, that's wisdom? You can see where it's got in the world, in our culture. But godly wisdom is something that we get from God's Word, and that's why we study God's Word so uh, carefully here at Calvary Chapel. And you should be studying God's Word very carefully in your own devotions. And I am so thankful that we don't have to walk through this life living after the world and living after, you know, worldly wisdom, that we can walk after the true wisdom that is given from above and that we can walk in a way that we don't have to fall into the deception and traps and, and bondage of the world. And at least that's what will happen if we walk in worldly wisdom to feel empty and all of this and in the darkness and be deceived, man, we get to walk in the light. And we get to walk in love. And we get to walk in a way that we know is true because God's word is true. And it's going to bless you. The thing that I love about this book in my life is as I've gotten older, I can look back and say, Lord, thank you that your word has guided me in how I raise my kids and how I love my wife. And how I minister to others. And decisions that need to be made. And when I do lack wisdom that James says I can come and ask of you and ask liberally because you're going to give it to me. And you promise that as I seek you for counsel, the wonderful counselor, that you will be a, prom a voice behind me. And you promise that you will say this is the way to go. Go to the right or go to the left. He'll speak to us in that still small voice. He'll prompt us. He'll give us a peace that rules in our hearts. Colossians chapter 3. And the Lord is so wonderful. His word given to us. 
and directing us so we can walk in that godly wisdom. Seek His Word. You see, there's a lot of distractions. I don't need to tell you that. There's a lot of information that's out there, and as Christians, we can spend a lot of time looking up our information and, and all that's going on on social media and uh, the, you know Facebook and everything else that's going on. We can spend hours and hours on that. Listen, spend time in His Word. Have devotions every day. Be reading your Bibles. Look to Him. Ask Him to give you understanding, and you're going to see that you're going to grow tremendously. There's no other shortcut. Be in your Bible every single day, growing in godly wisdom. Well, we read in verse 26, and I find more bitter uh, than death, the woman whose heart is snares and nets, whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be trapped by her. So godly wisdom keeps us from falling into sin. In verse 27, here's what I have found, says the preacher, adding one thing to the other to find out the reason which my soul still seeks but I cannot find one man among a thousand I have found but a woman among all these I have not found so again he, he's looking at his perspective under the sun being negative he, he's looked for a wise man and only found one in, in a thousand and he says I didn't find any women to be wise he didn't come to Calvary Chapel Greeley I'm serious I am so impressed in the ladies here that your wisdom that you have in the Lord. And I am so appreciative of your ministry as you minister to other women, as you teach Bible study, as we have, you know, young ladies, you know, that are ministering to other young ladies. We have those ladies that are ministering to youth and to the children. And as I walked around, you know, really uh, the last three mornings walking around watching all the work that was being done and organized and, and the ladies that had a big part in this and, and the men had a part in it as well, but the ladies, you know, they just impressed me. The wisdom that they had, the hard work they put into it and, and what a blessing it was and it, it just blessed me so much. All I did was get in the way. They had things organized. And they were a blessing to the children. And I am so grateful to you. And thankful for your ministry here at Calvary Chapel. And men, that I pray that you would continue to grow in wisdom. Listen, all of you here, that as you grow in the Word of God and growing in your walk with the Lord, you have something to offer. Do you know that? You have somebody in your life that knows a whole lot less than you do who perhaps is hurting more than you are, who is more confused and down and discouraged, and you have opportunity to minister to them the love of Christ and godly wisdom to them. And I pray that we would look for those opportunities to do that. Lord, I want to be an instrument, to be an encouragement to somebody in their life. I, I want to bless others while I have the opportunity, whatever that might mean for you, you guys out in the field working or in the workplace, other family members, perhaps friends, maybe in the neighborhood, whatever it might mean for you. And I pray for all of us that we would give that godly wisdom to others. And I'll tell you what, 
people, there are those out there that they may scoff at you and laugh at you, but there are others that they're really going to pay attention to you. And I've said this again before, and I'm going to say it right now. The ones that God is really going to use in the days in which we're living in are those who are grounded in God's word. Listen, people are looking for truth. And as I said, the world's messed up and mixed up. And people know that deep down inside. They look how, you know, society is falling apart and how crazy it's getting and how stupid it's getting. And you have the opportunity to bring something to them that is real, that is true. And I pray that we would take that opportunity to do that as we talk with others. And then in verse 27, here is what I have found, says the preaching, um, adding one thing to the other to find out the reason which my soul still seeks, but I cannot find. And I've already read that, verse 28, verse 29 as we finish. Truly, this is only I have found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. And again, just saying that, that man uh, has sins and man uh, has a tendency tendency to sin because we have a sin nature in chapter 8 who is like a wise man who knows uh, the interpretation of a thing uh, a man's wisdom makes his face shine and the sternness of his face is changed uh, I, I read this and you know he said who's like the wise man and he talks about a wise a man's wisdom makes his face to shine as a Christian what is our countenance is it shining the love of Jesus Christ? Is it shining the, the, the wisdom of Jesus Christ? When I think about how the Lord desires for our countenance to really show that and be a blessing to others, that people, they would just see it with us. There are those that, that you see their countenance is just shining and it's full of love and full of wisdom. It's just as we talked about that in 2 Corinthians, that Paul says that you and I as Christians, that we should, you know, uh, be the fake fragrance of Christ, a sweet aroma to others as well. So these are poetic, you know, images that are given to you and to me that people should see that we, that we shine our countenance because we have the wisdom of God. Listen, it's like Moses. Remember Moses in the book of Exodus? He goes up on the mountain for 40 days. And he comes back down from the mountain and the people say, you know, his face is shining. They said, hey, Mo, your face is aglow, man. You put a veil on and um, because it was shining so much. Listen, there's only one way that I know that your countenance can shine with the glory of the Lord and the love of the Lord and the wisdom of the Lord. Spend time with them. Will you spend time with them? And can't you tell when somebody's really spent time with the Lord? You can sense it. You can see it. Because it shows in their countenance and the words that they speak and their attitudes and all of that. So I pray that we would be ones, that we would spend time with Him and allow Him to just radiate from us the love of Jesus Christ. Love hearing those children, don't we? God bless you guys. It's good to have you here. And then in verse 2, and I say, keep the king's commandment for the sake of your oath to God.
Do not be hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand for an evil thing, for he does whatever pleases him. So again, he's being negative. He talks about in verse 4, where the word of a king is, there is power. Who may say to him, what are you doing? He who keeps his command will experience nothing harmful. And a wise man's heart discerns both time and judgment, because for every manner there's a time and judgment. Through the misery of a man increases greatly, for he does not know what will happen, so who can tell him when it will occur? And no one has power over the spirit to retain the spirit, and no one has power over the day of death. There is no release from that war, and wickedness will not deliver those who are given to it. So I believe just what Solomon is writing here is a place, you know, uh, that a king has an authority. He has the power to bring judgment in, in different matters and situations. And we know that there is going to be a day of judgment that is going to come to this world. You and I are not going to face the judgment of God. Those of us who are in Christ, because Jesus took that judgment on the cross. But there is going to be sin that is going to be judged. And as we go through Luke's gospel, particularly we will continue to see that Jesus talks about that day. He says, in that day, in that day, in that day. It's a day when a Christ-rejected world is going to be judged and everything will be brought right. And he will establish his kingdom and his kingdom will be a kingdom of righteousness. And then in verse 9, all these things I've seen and applied in my heart to every work that is done under the sun. There's a time in which one man rules over another to his own hurt. We're going to end here. So he's talking about a ruler who rules over another to their own hurt. And Rehoboam, his son, was one of it. You know the story, Solomon, that the kingdom was united, it was wealthy, it was prosperous. But when he died and his son Rehoboam took over the kingdom, it was only a short time, a matter of just a couple months, that the nation ended up being hurt and split. The ten northern tribes broke away from uh, Judah and from Benjamin. And um, it was, you know, just bad news because the decisions that Rehoboam made hurt the, the nation. Listen, one more minute, and then we're going to go to prayer, and then we're going to come to the communion table. What about you and me? Dads, those of you who rule in your house, that is, you're the head of your home. Those of you who are the head of your families. Those of you who perhaps that you're a supervisor at work. Maybe you, you oversee others in some way, even a ministry. You never want to do it to others' hurts. Husbands, you love your wives as Christ loves the church and gave himself for the church. And you serve her and you cherish her and you live with your wife in understanding her. And fathers and moms, you're a part of this. You, you raise your children, children in the ways and the training and admonition of the Lord as we're instructed in Scripture. You be a priest in your home. You love your kids. You bring them to Jesus. You as a supervisor, you have the opportunity, yes, that you have to, to do business. You have to make sure work gets done, but you treat those who are under you fairly and you treat them in a way knowing, as the scripture says, that you have a master in heaven who's been patient with you. So I pray that we would always, as we relate to others, that it would be not done in a way that hurts them, but it helps them. And listen, 
if you're doing anything that is hurting others, you need to go to the Lord. You need to stop. You need to repent. Ask for forgiveness and ask the Lord, help me, Lord. To be the one that's ruling over my family the way that you want in a loving manner. Help me be the boss that you want me to be. Help me be the friend that you want me to be. Help me not to take advantage of others, hurt others, put others down. The Lord be a blessing. Oh, it might mean that you, you know, are going to make decisions that others don't like. I understand that. That's all part of it. But even as Paul would say to the Corinthian church, I'm not here to rule over you. I'm here to be helpers of your joy. The Lord help me to be a helper of your joy. Isn't it, let me ask you this, isn't it a joy for us to submit to our Lord? Isn't it? I hope you say yes. It is, isn't it? Because he's so loving and patient in what he's given to us, what he's provided for us. His grace, his mercy. It's a joy to submit to the Lord. And I pray for those who are submitting to you in whatever capacity that might be. It's down, done out of great joy because that's a good man. That's a good dad, you know, good husband, a good boss good mom, good grandparent, a good friend because they have the love of Jesus Christ and they treat me with that love. And they speak wisdom and they build me up and they encourage me. So Father, we thank you for this time in your word and I pray that you would just help us to continue to grow in godly wisdom as we read your word. Father, we thank you that your son came and exemplified everything of godliness and righteousness in our lives. And we thank you that Jesus came to give us a living hope through his death and burial and resurrection because there is no other hope apart from that. And as we come to the communion table, Lord, that as we remember the new covenant that we belong to, a, a covenant of your son's suffering and death, on the cross what you have provided and sending your son forgiveness and eternal life and right relationship with you that it would be a time that we would worship a time that we would lord just marvel at your incredible grace once again but father i do pray if there's anybody that's here or listening on live stream or on the radio later that you've never surrendered your life to jesus christ he is life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not a way, but the way. And he proved it by going to the cross, crying, it is finished. I've done the work. I've paid the price for your sins. And then he rose from the grave. He conquered sin and death. No one else did that for you. And even as Solomon recognizes here, and as the scripture declares that all of us are sinners, we cannot earn our way to heaven, we cannot merit it, we cannot be worthy of it. Jesus is the one who is worthy to come to him and surrender to him. And if you haven't done that, it's not joining a church, it's not being religious, it is asking God to forgive you of your sins through Jesus Christ and to come into a personal relationship with him. Asking Jesus to be your personal Lord and Savior, to be forgiven, 
that have the hope of eternal life. It is only through Christ. And if you've never done that, will you do that right now, right where you're sitting? Today is the day of salvation. And right where you're sitting, with sincerity in your heart, you say, Jesus, I come to you right now and ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. You're alive. You rose from the grave because you're speaking to me right now in that still small voice to my heart. You're knocking on the door of my heart and I now open up my heart to you and ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior. And I thank you for your love and I thank you for bringing me here tonight. And I thank you that you died for me. Forgive me. Thank you for saving me and giving me this new beginning. Help me to know you and to walk with you all the days of my life in Jesus' name. And listen, we're going to come to the communion table. The communion is for the believer. But if anybody did make a decision for Christ tonight, when we finish, I'm going to stay up here and you can come. and Just tell me the decision you made. I want to pray with you and encourage you in any way that I can. If you're listening on live stream or on the radio, if you can just call the church and let us know the decision you made. But right now, may we just continue to worship as the ushers are going to hand out the communion elements and then we'll partake of them together.